As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Alabama has a new athletic director, Tennessee might too. Who's on your Mount Rushmore of college football? We are going to get into that on this episode of The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, what the heck are we supposed to talk about now? The season is over. Is it too soon to get into recruiting, Stu? I don't think you want to jump down that rabbit hole yet. I mean, signing day is going to be here in two weeks. And so, uh, but, you know, it's tough, that turnaround from the end of the season to get focused on that. I know a lot of our listeners probably are focused on it year-round. Um, you you follow it pretty closely. I do, yeah. I th- I felt like I kind of weirded you out when we ran into Charlie Strong and I started talking <laughs> about specific. You players. knew every single recruit in the whole class. I've got I've gotten up to speed on it. I end up talking to a lot of coaches on it, and I think just because the whole meat market thing, it's something that's always going to be. I don't want to say a subject near and dear to my heart, but I am fascinated by it. Which, you know, there's a. I feel like there's kind of an interesting thing here is I have a ton of respect for the people who chase it every year and that's what they – every day, every year, you know. And um, But I do know that it's an exact science in the star system. I feel like we're kind of on – like maybe on opposite sides of how we feel about the star system oh, yeah. when it come, uh, comes the, out. It's interesting. I am a huge believer in those recruits. I think that they've become more and more accurate. Um and and there is a definitely a we mentioned this last time. There's definitely a direct correlation between signing the top ten classes and contending for national championships. There are outliers, but uh, there is. You know. But I think what what I would always point out is there's a lot of cases. I, I think you t- I think you can take it too much too far. And I think sometimes people are just like, okay, this guy's a five star, and that means he's got great talent. And I think you you overlook the aspect of why it's such an exact an exact science. So I'm not disagreeing with you. I, obviously, if my, if I was a fan of a school, I'd rather have more five star guys than three and two star guys. But I think you 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 lose a lot of you know the Khalil Max, and I think the chances of it happening. Yeah, there's more of those guys out there, but I think a lot of times the guys who are f- four and five star guys are that because of one the way they look in shorts and t shirts at these combines, or two because of the schools who are recruiting. I'm not necessarily you know, what they're going to become four years from now. Completely unplanned, but I'm now going to read off to you the top 
10 or so recruits, maybe a little bit more, from the class of 2014 on 247 Sports. Okay. Number one, Leonard Fournette. Number two, Miles Garrett. Number three, Jabril Peppers. Number four, Cam Robinson. Number five, Deshaun Hand. Number six, Quinn Blanding. Number seven, Adoree Jackson. Number eight, Speedy Noel. Number nine, Tony Brown. Number 10, Kyle Allen. How's that for a hit rate? That is a great hit rate. I do think that that yeah. year was a, is one of the rare ones where it's been that significant. I mean, there are other years where the hit rates are not anywhere near that. But this is this has probably been as good a year um, for that as you're going to find. I mean, let's do something different. I haven't done it either. So let's take a look at 2012. How about that? You went 2014, correct? You know, I do remember covering it in the in the pre-Rivals, pre-247 days, and it would be not anything like that. I just think with all the camps and the combines, the evaluators see them so often now that their rankings are becoming more accurate. Okay, let's go through two, let, let's go through uh, 2012 because that's not that far off. Mario Edwards, FSU. Uh, Doriel Green Beckham, obviously he's talented. Landon Collins definitely was very good. Eric Armstead, good career. DJ Humphreys, eh. Um, Shaq Thompson, good career at Washington. Malcolm Brown, he left as a first-round pick. Uh, defensive lineman, I should say, Malcolm Brown. Eddie Williams, mm, not so much on that one. Uh, Kyle Murphy, I think he had a good career. I don't know if I would say he was lived up to be a five-star guy. Keith Marshall, who's in the NFL now. He is. I mean, look how many of these guys are in the NFL. Eric Armstead, Jameis Winston. My point is, uh, I think it's an outdated narrative when people say... When By they the way, Stephon at- Diggs actually probably maybe a better NFL player than he was in college. How much of that was where he chose to go to college? Uh, that's a good point. That's possible. My point is that, and you're going to see this when the Super Bowl teams get determined. People are going to look at the rosters and go, look at all these guys who weren't four- and five-star recruits. It shows you how inexact it is. Well, look, who's the, who's the best player in, in the NFL right now? Um, he, he's from right where you live. Tom Brady? No, close. Because he is from here. Yeah, no, this other uh, one's close. Who are you referring to, Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Yeah, I, he's the ultimate, like, completely overlooked yeah. out of high school guy. Yeah, and I think that's the example of why it's, you know, it is the inexact science. And there's, look, there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, one of the best players in the NFL on defense, you know, was what came from Florida, but was a guy who was underrated and ended up in the MAC, and that's Khalil Mack. I mean, there's. Well, you know this better than anybody. Wouldn't you say quarterback is the one that to this day is still the hardest for them to project? I think it is, but I think that, you know, you look and it's hard on offensive linemen too. All right. Well, that was a completely unplanned recruiting conversation. We will definitely get into recruiting more before signing day. I wanted to get to some news this week. So if you were to name, <laughs> if you were to name who, what AD is the most media friendly or probably has relationships with the most national media members it would be? Uh, I would guess it might be Joe Castiglione from Oklahoma or Greg Byrne from well, he's not from Arizona anymore, is he still? Yeah, it really uh, caught us all off guard with the news that he is going to Alabama. Not that he's leaving Arizona, because I think we always knew he would move on probably to the SEC. But there was nobody knew there was an AD opening at Alabama. They very, you know, quietly and, and successfully did a whole transition plan uh, from Bill Battle, who will be retiring, to uh, Greg Byrne without anybody knowing it. 
Yeah, and look, I think you and I agree that uh, this was a really good hire. You could have seen any number of schools that have had and have uh, open AD searches going on, including Florida, previously Georgia, who could have gotten Greg Byrne. I'm not saying they could have gotten, but but if they had hired Greg Byrne, and we would have thought that would have been a really really good hire. Uh, you know, one of the things that's that I've you know we both have relationships with him is. You know, he had, he had been in, he bounced all over. He grew up in the business. You know, his dad, Bill, was a longtime AD at a bunch of different big schools. And Greg came up as an administrator. He's not Pat Hayden. He's not one of these guys or Len Swan who gets kind of dropped down from some, you know, from some former player who came through the business side. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what college athletics, you know, how they operate. But he also really enjoyed his time in Starkville when he was the AD at Mississippi State. And I think he's always been intrigued by the idea of going back to a, one of these, you know, Southern college towns uh, to be part of that community. Not to say he hasn't enjoyed where he's at in Arizona. They have two kids who are roughly college age. But uh, I think this this isn't a shock to me. It's just surprising that it just kind of flew under the radar and just happened the way it did. It's significant because whether it was Greg Murn or somebody else. You know, I think we would safely assume that now Greg Byrne is going to have one of the most. Um, I wouldn't. I don't envy him on this, but he will most likely be the person who hires Nick Saban's successor. Yeah, that's a, that's a tall order because the point I would make to don't screw that up. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like Alabama could not. It can't possibly be any better athletically than it is now because of the way everything's set around football, and you're not going to do better than Nick Saban. So, you know, it's just how 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 far will the program drop is, is kind of the parameters of what you're looking at right now. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Is that a glass is half empty kind of way of perspective? Yeah, I think that it's not. Um, I mean, I don't mean to be a cynic, but it's like he'll he'll pick um, Nick Saban's successor. And then when that guy doesn't win four national titles in seven years, and everybody wants to run him off. Then he'll have to hire that guy's successor. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, a, that's a very tricky situation, but that's why they're paying them the big bucks, right? Correct. And I wanted to contrast that with, so this all happened, like I said, very... Um, stealthy. Uh, stealthy would be the word, yes. Meantime, Tennessee's had an athletic director opening for six months, and they've hired one search firm, and I think they hired another one, and then all that leads to the news on Monday that Phil Fulmer... Their former coach, national championship coach, has emerged as a leading contender. Boosters want to get him hired. Were that to happen, <laughs> and we know that it might not, and maybe by the time you've read this, it wouldn't have. But if that were to happen, what would your reaction be? Man, I feel like I, I, you tweeted something about it. And the, when I read the tweet, I was like, it almost felt like most Tennessee thing ever kind of thing. Like these, <laughs> this, these poor fans have been through a lot in the last decade starting with the end of the full Fulmer era, which didn't go, which, you know, was rocky at, at that point. Then they hired Lane and Lane was a chaotic one year. And it's not to say he didn't do, you know, he didn't have any positive things, but he moved on and I, it was a bad breaker upper and it was ugly then. And to me, this is probably the low point of, you know, as, as embarrassing as all the Lane stuff was, they somehow decided to hire Derek Dooley who didn't even have a winning record as a coach in the whack and somehow he gets the Tennessee job and that was a complete fiasco. 
Um, and there's been off field issues and everything else. And then they hired Butch Jones where it's gotten better, but it's been a lot of, Hey, you know what? It's been one step forward. It's been two steps forward, one step back. And I think there's been a lot of frustration, no kidding. And the way they're losing and the way they're not, you know, they still haven't been able to win the, the SEC East. And so now they would turn around and bring back Phil Fulmer, who is 66. And I, I mentioned this to somebody, uh, to a coach I know. I said, what do you make of the Phil Fulmer thing? He goes, he is 66, but he could pass for 76. Ouch. And, and, That's a low blow. <laughs> and, the, and the thinking is, what do you really think you're getting any big picture at presence here? Don't a lot of people know that when you hire some guy who has not really come up to the administration side, you know, it's a major gamble. Now, any hire is a major is a, is a pretty big roll of the dice, but I don't know. Juxtapositioning Greg Byrne versus potentially full Fulmer. I mean, where do you stand on that? Well, to me, it kind of symbolized, right? Like those are two rivals that had, couldn't be much further apart. And that's pretty much a great example of it, right? Alabama, very savvy, gets what a big business college athletics is. Tennessee, oh, we haven't been good at football in a while. Why don't we bring back our, our you know, favorite son? Now, well, their favorite son, you know what? I Would would you feel differently if they named Peyton Manning the AD? He's the favorite I mean, son. He's the favorite son, but no, nobody. All right, I want to play counterpoint here. Walk, even down the road on, walk down the road with me on Peyton Manning as the AD. He is very – I'm not saying Phil Fulmer's not smart. I don't want that to go. But Peyton Manning, by all accounts, is a brilliant guy. Right. Very uh, sad. Um, much younger also. Much more energy. Now, he may be pulled in 80 different directions. I'm not trying to say he's a candidate. I'm just saying, would you feel differently if a guy who has no real administrative AD experience – uh, taking this over. We should also point out, by the way, David Blackburn, who spent 20 years, 20 plus years around Tennessee and has now done a really nice job as the AD at Chattanooga, obviously not an SEC school, but it's, you know, he knows how Tennessee works and has gotten that experience, is a candidate for the job. And the idea that they would hire Phil Fulmer over David Blackburn to me is a big, big mistake. But so I get the that. sentiment, right? You know, football program has been bad for a while. Also, you know, Mike Hamilton was more of a came from more of the background you and I are talking about the business mm-hmm. background, and that could not have gone much worse. He's the guy that hired Derek Dooley. Um, Dave Hart had a Title IX scandal under his watch, so I Dave get Hart, that Dave Hart had some t- some Title IX, some issues though before he even got to Tennessee. Right. I mean, I know that uh, female coaches, women's sports coaches, don't like him. So, I guess what we need to do here is define like what makes a good AD, like what what. Because I don't think most people, you know, real even realize what the job entails. I mean, obviously, the thing they get associated most with is when they have to hire or fire a football coach or a basketball coach. That's mostly what we identify these guys with, right? Like Greg Byrne gets hired, and the, all the articles say he's the guy who hired Rich Rod and held on and and kept uh, Sean Miller from bolting for a couple other opportunities. Um, but there's so much more than that, and. I keep thinking of Baylor and Ian McCaw and what happened to him. And, you know, would you, if if something like that were to percolate at Tennessee, and by the way, they had issues Mm -hmm. with Title IX and sexual assaults, would Philip Fulmer be the guy you would want to, like, steer the ship on that? No, I wouldn't think that that would be. It's not to pick on Philip Fulmer, just somebody of his profile. 
No, I think that would be a, you know, look, we were talking about just somebody who doesn't have that administrative experience. Now you could say, yeah, he'll surround himself with those things. But we see time and time again, when, when somebody doesn't have that, it usually comes back to bite them because ultimately, ultimately they're the ones who have to make those decisions. Uh, you know, it's funny you're, we're, we're discussing this. Uh, I have this package that I had worked on that we haven't run yet. And I figured I didn't, I didn't want to run it in the middle of the season. But it was basically what you're talking about. And I don't know if you remember. I don't even know if you Oh, I do. It. Yeah, yeah. So it was what – and I asked – I want to say like there's more than a dozen media members and a dozen ADs. What, do you, what qualities do you think uh, make for a good AD? And who do you think is a good AD? And I need to trot that out sooner than later. So This would be a good time for that. It would be. Not, not right now, but yes, soon. So I thought it was interesting, though. I was listening to my favorite show on SiriusXM's college channel, Full Ride. Chris Childers, Rick Neuheisel, those guys are great. And they were talking about this story, and they were both enthusiastically in support of them hiring Fulmer uh, for different reasons. But, you know, they, they were so, – so I guess what's the counterargument here? I guess it would be if, 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 if his main role was to – you know, help the football program kind of find itself because it seems to be kind of in disarray. And then what's the number one thing the guy has to do? Fundraise, right? Go around, convince the boosters to raise money. If that's all he had to do, then I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess that would make sense. And then let his like number two guys, the what's the title now? Associate Athletic Director, Executive Associate Athletic let them do like more of the day-to-day, the budget and facilities and Mm-hmm. You know, obviously overseeing all of these other teams that don't get as much attention. But like you said, if you don't have somebody with strong leadership, college athletics experience in place when there's a crisis, um, that can really bite you. I just think it's an outdated model. It, it used to be standard, right? Frank Broyles, Vince Dooley, you know, these, these, these kind of Southern coaching icons, they'd retire from coaching and they'd move into the AD office. I just think that's an that's a outdated model, and I think Tennessee would regret it. Well, I think the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, Phil Fulmer last coached pretty much a decade ago and the media landscape and the social media world has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. And a lot of times what we're talking about is crisis management. And I don't know how, I'm not saying at 66, he cannot adapt to those things, but I think it is a steep curve to expect somebody to be able to navigate a lot of those issues that are going to come up, and you have to be really timely and, and to, to combat those issues. Would you feel differently about all this if he had just like retired from coaching last year? And the reason I ask you that is you don't hear any of these kind of complaints about Barry Alvarez, who kind of went right from coaching icon at Wisconsin to AD. Yeah, I would, because I think the landscape, like I said, has changed so much in the last decade. And I do feel like a lot of the job, not not a 80% of it, but I do feel like a high profile part of the job where guys often get where people often get fired is because they botch the crisis management aspect of it. And to me, that that uh, has been such a steep curve in the last decade. I'm not saying he's just been golfing the last 10 years. But I think anybody, if anybody answered that question honestly, they'd say that would be a big concern because to, to be out of it for 10 years, especially you know at this stage, we're not talking about you – know, if you told me Rick Neuheisel wanted to be an AD, um, 
I'd be like, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. New Isles is a lawyer. He's been at a bunch of different places, so his perspective is different. He's really seen how the media works. He's also not, you know, you know, getting close to 70. Right. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of different elements of that. I'm not saying any any coach couldn't do it. I just think that a lot of these factors to me seem like the red flags. And you, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I've, New Isle would be a really good AD, but he uh, it would cut in on his golf game too much. Uh, two quick things about Barry Alvarez. I looked this up because I forgotten the chronology. And yes, I had forgotten that he actually became the AD while he was still the coach. I completely forgot that he was, he held both roles for a season before turning it over to Brett Bielema. And here's one I bet did. I didn't even know this. Maybe you did. This is from Wikipedia in 2010. It was revealed that he invested $600,000 in the Ponzi scheme perpetrated by Nevin Shapiro. Uh, you know, that's interesting because obviously the connection would be Donna Shalala yes. and they are close. And so I didn't know that, but yeah, I didn't know that. That's, uh, that's pretty random. Very. You mentioned the AD package that you've had stored up last. Actually, this segue makes no sense at all. Do you, by last the way, week. do you remember what you told me for the AD, AD survey of, uh, who the best one was? Yeah. Let me, I'm trying to find, I'm yours. guess I bet I said Castiglione, if not best, one of the best. You know, what's disappointing, Stu, is I asked a lot of people in the media, and you were one of the last people to respond to. Respond. to. That's pretty. Well, that's because I knew you weren't going to get to it till January. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, you really have my answer handy. Handy is a different. You can't story. read it. I, the whole point of it was an anonymous anonymous survey. survey. I know, I know. You had Pat Hayden number one. That is awful, Stu. I know. Hard to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, last week's podcast, in light of Clemson's win and Deshaun Watson's uh, kind of, you know, we talked a lot about his legacy, and we and you introduced the concept of who are you, who's your Mount Rushmore of college football stars, and we, you know, we said over the last twenty years since that's so about we're ready we're now, huh? And we were kind of caught off guard, but I was interested by how many people tweeted us just without even mentioning anything on Twitter. They they solicited their they they nominated theirs, and then. Uh, so then I teased the podcast with that, and more people nominated theirs. And But a couple of people pointed out, like, you guys didn't really give yours. You know, you brought it up, but you didn't give yours. Are you yes. ready now? I am ready, but can you tell me, share with me, who are the – and did you did you take any of these that people had submitted? Oh, yes. I um, It was actually very helpful. It kind of helped me, you know, because 20 years of players is a lot to sift through. It kind of helped me narrow my focus. The most random name you saw that you didn't pick – and you, not to say that it was a joke, like some Syracuse fan would have said right. Troy Nunes or something, but was there one there? I was surprised at all the Ezekiel Elliotts. I mean, not that he's not a great player, but we're talking four. Best four players the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. There were also quite a few. Well, this guy might be on yours, so I won't say it. Do you have any defensive players on yours? I do. I, you know, I went into this and I was like, you know what? Screw it. Defense is half the battle. I'm putting two defensive and two offensive. Wow. Okay, without further ado, your Mount Rushmore. Okay. Um, The further this is going to go, I'm just going to straight out and say, Cam Newton is is the best player I've ever seen in college football. Um, It was one year. It was a ridiculous year. The talent around him, save for Nick Farrelly, had no business being near a national title game, much less winning it. Uh, Cam Newton. So you're saying like you because I think we are on the same page on this. You need to have played more than one year. No, Cam's on there. Oh, he's on Cam there. Was okay, so awesome. He's on there. Um, he was the easiest pick for me. 
Okay. Just, wow. Just be. Just because, like I said, there was that team Cam had that won the national title was Nick Fairley, and almost nobody else even got got drafted after that. So, um, you know, I was just just awed by what he did. You know, the SEC at that point was was on top of everything. I mean, look, who was the coach who had Cam Newton? Do you remember who his head coach was? I, I do, but it, it's one of those things that I think as the years go by, it will be harder and harder for people to name. Right, yes. but I mean, Gene Chizik got fired not long after Cam left left there. You know, um, my number two guy, my number two guy, my uh, my other uh, offensive guy is Marcus Mariota. Wow, three three awesome seasons. The idea that he could go and he was a great running quarterback. I think he had almost thirty rushing touchdowns. The TD interception ratio is insane, one hundred five to fourteen. So I was putting Mariota up there. My other two guys are defensive guys. I Just think real quick, probably- and putting Mariota on there, mm-hmm. then you're saying that you don't have to win a national championship to be on here. No, because as soon as I get to the next name, you're going to go, yeah, you didn't have to win. No, you don't have to win okay. a national title. Okay. Um, my first defensive guy, Indomitian Sue. Great player. Great player. Uh, the numbers he put up as an interior defensive lineman – 85 tackles, which is crazy to put up that many. 28 hurries, 24 tackles for losses, three block kicks, 10 pass breakups. In the uh, Big 12 title game against Texas, had seven tackles for losses, which is a uh, school record, and four and a half sacks. The team only managed 12 points. And here's the thing. I mean, thanks in large part to him, and I know they had one other good defensive lineman in there, but... You know, they led the nation in scoring defense. Nebraska did. And when you look at the rest of the team, I mean, I went through this, you know, in preparation for this. Listen to how many times they scored under, un, you know, under 20 points. So they lost a game 16 to 15 to Virginia Tech. They lost the game 31 to, uh, 31 to 10, where they only had 10 against Texas Tech. Uh, to, that was obviously, a, I think that was a leech team holding somebody to 10 points. They lost a 9-7 to game to Iowa State. They beat Oklahoma 10-3. to They beat Kansas State 17-3. to And they lost that game to te- number three, Texas, 13-12. Uh, to So I feel pretty good about Indomitian Sioux. I know he's got a uh, controversial NFL career, but he's on my Mount Rushmore. And then my, I wanted to have a secondary guy, and it came down to two guys. Um... You know, one of the guys I considered and I looked up was Eric Weddle. I thought he was an awesome player for, for Utah. He's obviously had a really good career. But the other guy I considered, and this is the guy I went with, uh, was Ed Reed. To me, he's he was as important as any Miami player that they've had since Jim Kelly was there, and that kind of built the program. Consensus All-American all twice uh, in 2001. Ed Reed was the leader of the greatest college football team uh, that's ever been, and certainly that's been in, in my in my time covering the sport. Nine interceptions, two hundred nine yards in ret- return yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he was national defensive player of the year, and he was that leader of that team when they had you know it was basically Larry Coker was the f- rookie head coach, and Ed Reed basically carried them to a national title. When Ed moved on to the NFL. Uh, they still were the most talented team, and they didn't win a national title the next year. So that's my fourth guy. I mean, I don't, 
I don't have a problem with any of them, but what's interesting is I don't have any of those. Uh, so it just shows you you can, you can do this exercise and come up with four completely different players. Now, I think I approached it differently based on hearing what you're saying. I mean, I, I thought, you know, I was basing it on having a, a, you know, a historic career, not just one year. So that ruled out Cam Newton. Okay. I would have liked to have defensive players on there. I just don't think any individual defensive player can kind of be as transcendent as a star. Did I not make player. a good enough argument for Sue considering how mediocre they were on offense? But again, you're focusing on one season. Like I, I can't say that in Dominican Sue. Okay. Well, you know what? Let me get to mine and you'll, you'll okay. see better what I mean. All okay. right. All right. First uh, inductee is Vince Young. Uh, I think that you, you know, we would agree that outside of Cam Newton and arguably right in the same breath, as dominant an uh, uh, individual season as we've seen. Mm-hmm. And it took him a while to get going, as I recall. But, you know, once he did, uh, he led them on a pretty crazy win streak, a Rose Bowl victory, and then a national championship victory over an SC team that had won 34 in a row. Yeah, you know, all, all good. All okay. Good. Tim Tebow. Uh, frankly, he's the one I'm surprised you don't have on there. Uh, such an iconic career, a Heisman Trophy Two national championships, one obviously not as the starter. Uh, and just like, has there been a more famous college football player over the last 20 years than Tim Tebow? I'm not, uh, the fame part I'm leaving out. I, Tim, both of your two guys I definitely consider, and they're certainly worthy. Um, but like I said, I was only going to have two guys. And to me, Cam was was just what he did. And granted, you're talking about career. I'm talking about like at the, the, the peak of what he did. I mean, those other guys had or were surrounded by much better players than what cam had too true um next guy is a running back and that is adrian peterson i think in you know i mean you could go back to barry sanders but we're not going back that far in my time covering it uh, i don't know that there was a better college running back than adrian peterson to to this day no true freshman has finished as high as he did in number two in the heisman to our buddy matt leinert um, led them to the national championship game that year. Did have injuries later in his career. But to me, he's kind of the – there have been a lot of great running backs, don't get me wrong, but he's kind of the gold standard college running backs during our time. Fourth one's going to be controversial, no question about it. Uh, a little off the wall, I would say. But Tell me tell me, you went to South Bend, Notre, South Bend Indiana, to grab our colleague from, from, from uh, Dublin, Ohio, Brady Quinn. I mean, that would be pretty controversial if I said he was one of the four. I mean, I feel bad leaving our buddy Leinert off because he had a fantastic career. He did. He, uh, did. he definitely. Uh, he was definitely very close. Um, my fourth guy had won more games as a starting quarterback than anybody in the history of college football. Is this Kellen Moore? several wins over top 10 teams. It is. It's Kellen Moore of Boise State. Um, I think that, you know, I'm sure people are going to say, oh, you can't have the small school guy. Well... He beat the big boys when he was there, and uh, fifty and three as a college starting quarterback. Nobody had ever won fifty games as a quarterback. I don't know if anybody ever will, because it's hard to be a four-year starter, and certainly, um, you know, it's just not going to happen very often. So, those are my four. We've heard your four. Believe me, there's a lot of great players. I would have liked it. Mariota definitely was high. You know, how high was Deshaun? Yeah. I went back and forth on that fourth spot a lot, and there were definitely times when I thought he would be the fourth. I wonder if 
you know, sometimes you have recency bias. Sometimes you need distance to really preach. Like, I wonder if in five years we'll look back, we'll do this same exercise and say, wait, we should definitely have Deshaun Watson on there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, of the guys you mentioned, Vince Young is a tough one for me just because I was, you know, I thought what he did against USC was was just so fantastic. But then again, I watched now Deshaun do it two years in a row. And I... um you could make a case that Deshaun and Vince Young have very – I mean, I do think they have they had very similar profiles over the course of their career. Yeah, they were both certainly surrounded by really good talent. They both took down – I mean, I thought the team that, that Vince beat was was a better team than the one that, that Deshaun just beat. But Deshaun also just lit up Alabama back-to-back years. Right. And I give him a ton of credit for that. Um I'd like to have a few years distance from it to look back and say, do I now look at his career the way I look at Vince Young's? Yeah, I don't know. I think it would <laughs> – I hate to say it, and I don't think Clemson fans will like it. I think it would It would probably perk him up a little more if Clemson didn't go on this run where they, they're going to the playoff every year. Like if Clemson all of a sudden you know, kind of backslid, I think – People might look, and maybe that's part of why I look at Marcus Mariota sure. in a way that I did, is just because, you know, they kind of slid. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate, but I looked at some of these, you know, maybe I overthought it, you know, whereas Miami didn't win the national title after Ed Ruggied left. You know, uh, Nebraska was crap on offense for the most part, but Endomic and Sue, you know, elevated them and well, did Cam, things dude, that nobody else the did. Ultimate example of that, you know, they weren't they were mediocre before he got there. He comes in one year, lifts them to an undefeated season in the toughest conference in college football at the time, and then he leaves and they go right back to mediocre. Uh, it's it's an amazing the impact he had. Did you consider our friend Johnny Football? Uh no, no. I mean, I. I considered Leinert. I considered some of the other guys you mentioned. I consider Reggie Bush. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, Reggie Bush to me was one of the most uh, as dynamic players I've ever seen. You know, and I had I don't know if you, what this is. If this is Homer bias, I didn't go to USC, but like you know, where you said recency bias. I saw a ton of USC games because I'm out here, so you know that probably influenced my feeling on that. Um, you know, I just. Uh, I don't know. Deshaun is a tough one for me because I, I really, you know, I, I was so awed by what he's done on the big stage that I thought was just very, very cool, you know, that he did it back-to-back years. Johnny Johnny lit up Alabama back-to-back years, but, you know, different. You know, it's just, it's just different. And I don't – I tried not to – you know, Deshaun character-wise is great too, and I think that's a plus. I mean, I factored the you know the leadership part for for Ed because he was a defensive player, um, but I wasn't like, look, Marcus Mariota is a great kid, but I wasn't going to put that in you know over somebody else because we don't know some of those. We, we you know we we both you know think the world of Linert, but you know that wasn't you know uh, I I don't know. I think it's a great argument to have and. You're Kellen Moore one. Like, I'm a big fan of Kellen Moore, and I can see why you put him on there. You know, I, I think I can see why people will pick it apart. Um, and I think whenever we put this out there, someone's going to go, why wasn't Herschel Walker on here? Why wasn't Earl Campbell or whatever? And I think well, we need to make sure that it's basically from, like, 1996 or whenever you started, basically the last 20 right. years. I consider so, Ricky Williams since he falls into that time frame. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I get kind of watered down by – there's so many – you know, there are a lot of good quarterbacks too, but there's so many running backs. I mean, look, there's a guy we haven't mentioned who I thought was one of the best players I've ever seen. That's Larry Fitzgerald. 
you know, no a pit. I mean, he was fantastic. He definitely um, should have been in our conversation last week about like that guy should have won the Heisman that year. Yeah. Yeah, true. So all right, I think we should wrap it up there. And uh, as always, like I said, email the audible pod at gmail.com and subscribe to the audible on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Because hey, we're not going anywhere. It may be the off season. We're still doing podcasts. We'll see you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.